Father, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. And in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purposes through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will understand, then obey. Understand, then obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to understand, then obey. Wouldn't this be easier? Wouldn't it be easier to understand, then obey, than John Samus's original words, trust and obey? Wouldn't it be easier when it comes to following Jesus, that Jesus lays it all out in front of you, whatever it is, and once you've been given sufficient explanation and have total understanding, then you move forward and obey. And yet, so often, this is not the way of Scripture, this is not the way of Jesus, and it will likely not be the way for you and me. Will you stand with me as we read Luke chapter 17? Verses 11 to 19. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Earlier in chapter 17, Jesus gives a rather demanding standard to forgiveness. It's in the middle of verse 3, and Jesus is telling his disciples, If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And of course, by seven, Jesus didn't mean 
Literally, you got seven strikes. So someone says something mean to you, you go, strike one, you got six more, and I'm done with you. Seven often symbolized perfection. It's as if Jesus is saying, if you are sinned against over and over and over, and repentance is given, you are to forgive. And of course, all of this is grounded in because I have forgiven and continue to forgive you. It's worth noting, Jesus is, of course, not enabling abusers or any way this verse could be twisted for another sermon another time. But beyond that, this is the standard. The disciples' response, understandably, in verse 5, increase our faith, because we can't do that on our own. And then comes Jesus' famous line about faith in verse 6, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Then Luke moves on, as if that statement alone somehow clears it up, what Jesus meant. You can imagine the disciples going, okay, so is that a yes, you will increase our faith, or is that a no, you won't? I just need to know how to manage my expectations, Jesus. One wonders if anyone had the courage to say something the next time they passed by a mulberry tree. But Jesus then immediately begins a commentary in verses 7 to 10 on servants and masters, concluding in verse 10 with, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This seems to be a part of the same previous conversation. There's no break, per se, in the dialogue. But what in the world does any of that have to do with the disciples asking to increase their faith? And then on the heels of this is our text about Jesus' interaction with the ten lepers. Is this, too, connected with Jesus' answer? Jesus enters a village, and from a distance, ten lepers begin crying out to him. In verse 13, Jesus, Master, that's an interesting title, have mercy on us. Because of their uncleanness, lepers were required to exile themselves away from society, where we get the term leper colonies, and they often found solidarity with one another, banished from all things societal, and they had to warn people of themselves as anyone came near, or if they came near anyone. And can you imagine how degrading that must have been to warn people of your presence? A presence that as far as the ceremonial law was concerned, a leper and a corpse were the same. So to be a leper, you might as well be dead. So their joint plea for mercy then had a lot of weight to it, obviously, it was a plea for healing, but also a plea to, for all intents and purposes, just be restored to life, restored to community, restored to worship at the temple, to see family and friends. These lepers, you know, uh, people that their, their worst qualities somehow began to define their identity, these were mothers, daughters, fathers, sons, brothers, sisters. And so it was a plea for so much that the only way they knew how to sum it all up, and perhaps you've prayed similarly before, where the need is so great and so abundant, you don't even know how to say it all except for Jesus, please have mercy. 
Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus' response in verse 14, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. (laughs) What? That is what lepers were to do once they were cleansed. The priest would inspect the person, and if fully cleansed of leprosy or any other disease that may have precluded their being with society, the priest would give his blessing, the official okay, and the person could re-enter society. But you definitely would not go and do this as a leper. Jesus had given them an unexplained command. In the background to this is the story of Elisha and Naaman in 2 Kings 5. Naaman is a commander in the Syrian army. He's also a leper. And someone recommends to him to go see a prophet in Israel who could help him, perhaps even heal him. And so he comes to see Elisha, he and all his horses and chariots. And Elisha tells him to wash himself in the Jordan seven times, and he'll be clean. And Naaman gets indignant at that. The text even says he was angry and went away. Wash myself in the Jordan. He starts listing other bodies of water. He says, are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? I came all the way here to see a prophet so that he could tell me to go take a bath. I could have taken a bath at home, and the, and the water is much nicer there. He says in verse 11, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure me. Naaman had been given an unexplained command. Corey Ten Boom, a Dutch Christian around World War II, her family had become involved in Nazi resistance efforts giving shelter to fellow resistance workers and Jews who were fleeing persecution. And her, her father, and older sister were eventually caught by the Gestapo and sent away to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. Both her father and her older sister, Betsy, died. Corey was the only one to return back home to other members of her family who had survived. And she writes about her experiences in her book, the hiding place. And one episode in particular she writes about was an experience after the war. She had gone back to Germany and was giving sermons, and one in particular in Munich in 1947. You think how, think how that was. And it was a sermon on God's forgiveness. And after the service, as people were exiting, one man in particular starts coming down the middle aisle to come meet her. And Corey recognized him instantly. He had been a guard at Ravensbrück. And she says memories flooded back to her of what the lights looked like there, of her sister, of how frail her sister had been, of her sister's death, of how everyone's clothes in this room had been piled in the front, um, of the level of dress she had had to be in front of this man, let the listener understand. And so Corey 
Uh, she's processing a million things a million miles per hour, and he comes up and introduces himself, not recognizing her, and he commended her for her message, said that he had become a Christian, and since she had mentioned spending time at Ravensbrück, he wanted to ask for her forgiveness, and he stuck out his hand. Cor all Corey could do was start praying that God would help her heart. And in that moment, she felt God impress on her Jesus' words, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. God had impressed on Corey an unexplained command. This is so often the way with God. Abraham, leave your land and go. Moses, go and deliver a message to Pharaoh. Moses, put your staff in the water. Joshua, march around those walls. Gideon, reduce the number of your army. How, how long could this list be? Paul in prison, write this letter to this church. John in exile, write down this vision I'm going to show you. Saints in Scripture, saints of the past, think of all the missionaries, William Wilberforce, Mordecai Ham. What message did God lead him to preach that led Billy Graham to Christ? All given a command or calling from God with varying, often minimal, levels of explanation from God, none of whom could have ever predicted or understood from the outset what all God was going to do with what He was calling them to do. And as it pertains to our examples, notice at what point in the process God's blessing manifested in different ways, happens. Luke 17, 14, and as they went, they were cleansed. 2 Kings 5, 14, so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and he was clean. Corey Ten Boom, after feeling impressed by God about her needing to forgive, stuck her hand out and silently prayed, Jesus, I can do this much. I need you to do the rest. And then she writes, And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. James Stewart, a renowned Scottish preacher in the 20th century, he says of this text, As they obeyed Christ's plain command, the longed-for healing came. This is so often the way of it still. The great things the Christian religion talks of, life and healing, the integration of personality, the ending of the sense of meaninglessness and anxiety and boredom, the gift of hope and courage, vitality and joy, everything, in fact, that the Bible means by salvation. These things do not come by sitting down and dreaming of them or by theorizing about their possibility. They do not even come by staying on your knees indefinitely and praying for them. They do come by practical experimentation, by getting your feet onto the road of ethical obedience and simple day-to-day -day loyalty. I fancy 
some of us, even if we cannot see the distant scene, at least know the next step we are meant to take. The plain, unspectacular obedience God is asking from us in this moment. That is the way to the miracle. As they went, they were cleansed. As they went, as Naaman washed, as Corey stuck her hand out, as they obeyed, the work of God, whatever was needed or requested, happened. It didn't come before. Jesus did not heal them and then send them on their way. Be healed, now go show yourselves to the priests. In fact, he didn't even tell them it was going to happen. He just said, go and show yourselves to the priests. Naaman wasn't given a full rundown of why he had been told to do what he was to do. God did not supernaturally provide forgiveness in Corey Tinboom's heart before or so that she could uh, stick her hand out as well. Understanding does not always precede obedience. It often comes as we obey. Luke brings this all full circle in verse 19. One of the lepers returns to thank Jesus, and Jesus notes that, I thought I remember 12 here to begin with. I mean, excuse me, that there were 10 here to begin with. Where are the other nine? And certainly there's a word in this to us about gratefulness to Jesus. But then he comments to the leper, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. It's taken Luke this long to develop it fully. But through the action and message of Jesus, he has answered the disciples' original plea, increase our faith. Remember, this, this was the order of events. Increase our faith. Jesus' commentary on servants, masters, doing what your master tells you to do. Lepers referring to Jesus as master. The lepers then doing what their master tells them to do. All of which Jesus commends as the leper's faith. Luke and Jesus, their point in putting these things together is to say that faith is not so much some item that can increase or decrease in quantity. Thus, Jesus' comment about the sufficiency of mustard, mustard seed size faith. It's not so much some item that can increase or decrease in size as it is a disposition. It is a way of being. Faith is a verb, not a noun. It's not something you have. It is something you do, something you act with. In its simplest form, faith is doing what your master, Jesus, says. What is Jesus calling or commanding you to do? Perhaps commanding with little to no explanation. Unto what is he calling you to do by and with faith? If you're waiting first for the Lord to lay it all out for you, this will equal this, will equal this, will equal this. 
If you're waiting for a full understanding, if you're waiting for some logical explanation, you may be waiting on the very thing that will only come through doing what he's calling you to do. Not to mention, what might you miss out on in joy, in amazement, in adventure? What all might you never learn about your heavenly Father, your Savior, or the Holy Spirit because you never gave him or yourself a chance to learn it. Because it's not just to what you're being led to. More importantly, it's who's leading you. Because if you're ever tempted to think, is this really possible? We are talking about Jesus, right? Jesus, who sits and reigns at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, whose throne is heaven and whose footstool is earth. Jesus, by whom, through whom, and for whom the entire universe was made. Jesus, whose name is above every name. Jesus, by whose hand the universe is upheld. Jesus, at whose name every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. Jesus, at whose word storms cease, at whose touch diseases heal, at whose presence demons flee by whose ministry the kingdom of God appeared, by whose death defeated death, and by whose life gave everlasting life. It's Jesus we're talking about, right? Because if he says it, I think it's possible. More personally, if you're ever tempted to think, but can I trust him? This is Jesus we're talking about whose body was broken for you, whose blood was shed for you, who two chapters earlier in Luke 15, when trying to describe the love of God, of which he is the embodiment of, he uses images of leaving the 99 and seeking the one lost sheep in the, op in the open country, placing it on his shoulders, rejoicing. That's the word he uses, rejoices and brings the little lamb home. And then immediately says of the father running to embrace his wayward son, to hug him, to put his robe on him, telling him, fix up the feast, bring us some shoes. My son is returning home. This is Jesus we're talking about. If he says so, you can trust him. So what are you to do? As servants to the master, as beloved sisters and brothers to, of the king, whose loftiness and majesty exceeds the limits of our understanding and yet dwells among us and within us in profound, tender, loving nearness. How are you to respond when given an unexplained command? What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Sing it with me. Trust and obey. For there's no other way.